0: Uh, This is uh, Karen Tate, and uh, welcome to the show on this uh, special day. Uh, Generally, we are not here too often on Sundays, but uh, here we are today, and uh, thank you uh, for tuning in. Uh, We have a great show for you today, a a topic that uh, I don't think could be more relevant. Uh, It's uh, Surviving uh, Trump and Healing a Nation uh, with uh, Patrick Rutherford. And um, I believe that's a topic on uh, so many people's minds. And uh, just to tell you a little bit about our guest, uh, Patrick, um, uh, he has a bachelor's degree in theology, uh, a master's in uh, health administration, and a Ph.D. in educational administration. He's worked as a pastor, a hospital administrator, uh, a university lecturer, Uh, His doctoral dissertation was uh, Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder of 11th Grade Students, uh, which kind of runs parallel to our discussion today uh, as uh, do his numerous presentations on emotional health, Uh, spiritual life, uh, emotional intelligence. Uh, So just some of the questions uh, we're going to discuss today include uh, uh, the effects of uh, the separation of children from parents at the border. Uh, Did God make Trump president? Uh, What hate does to your mental health? Uh, We'll talk a bit about the government's response uh, to the coronavirus, Um, how we can uh, handle anger and hate and overcoming uh, victim mentality, and uh, five steps to overcome fear. Um, As long as we have time, we'll get into separation of church and state and the importance of that. Um, Dominionist Christianity, uh, that's another important topic considering so many of our um, public leaders are Uh, Dominionist Christians, and uh, the historical dangers of uh, religious dominance in state affairs. Uh, So we have an awful lot to get to uh, with Patrick, and uh, I want to thank him for being on the show. And uh, we're going to jump in there in just one second, but first I want to give a shout-out to Laura Kane. Uh, You heard uh, her snippet uh, of music that uh, started the show off today uh, that was called Choose Love. And uh, While I have your attention and we're doing a little bit of housekeeping here, uh, I just want to remind you that um, uh, we're going to start to get back on schedule a little bit more uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, We're going to be moving back to our uh, Wednesday 11 a.m. slot um, uh, in the month of June, Uh, so mark your calendars, Uh, but also uh, as I... Uh, remind you uh, please do click the follow button uh, on the show page because then you won't have to worry about when the show airs live Uh, you'll have that convenience of the button uh, to directly to the show in your email inbox so please go to the show page uh at voices of the sacred feminine on blog talk radio and click uh our follow button uh but we what we do have coming up for you in the coming weeks um this Friday, uh, I will be offering my monthly uh, goddess calling, uh, inspirational sharing, and the topic is our real wealth. And uh, then uh, coming up uh, the following Sunday, uh, I have with me uh, Trista Hendren. She's the editor of the Girl God series. Uh, We're going to be talking about um, Medusa from monster to divine wisdom uh, that should be an interesting topic and uh, the following week I have with me Elizabeth Meacham uh, we're going to be talking about uh, earth spirit dreaming or sh- uh, shamanic ecotherapy and for those of you who recognize the name Matthew Fox um, uh, he's uh, quite well known um, in uh, some of the circles, I believe some of my listeners probably move in. Um, he is going to be on the show in a few weeks. He's going to be talking about uh, Thomas Aquinas and uh, Hildegard von Bingen. Uh, so we have a lot of good stuff uh, coming up for you uh, in the in the weeks ahead. So uh, please make sure you don't miss it. And uh, just one little thing uh, uh, else I want to share with you before we start our interview. Uh, A friend of mine sent it in, and uh, I think it's relevant to today's conversation with uh, so much going on in the world, which uh, uh, our topic today touches on. Uh, This is entitled, um, We're Not in the Same Boat. And, you know, we we keep hearing everywhere, we're all in this together, we're all in the same boat. And um, I think maybe we uh, think that sometimes if we don't think it through really well. Uh, But this little short um, reflection uh, you know, maybe uh, encourages us to look a little bit deeper So I want to just read this to you real quick And then um, we'll start our interview with, uh, with Patrick Rutherford About uh, surviving Trump and healing a nation So, anyway, here this, this goes like this We are not in the same boat I heard that we are all in the same boat But it's not like that We are in the same storm but not in the same boat. Your ship could be shipwrecked, and mine might not be, or vice versa. For some, quarantine is optimal, a moment of reflection, of reconnection, uh, easy and flip-flops with a cocktail or a coffee. For others, this is a desperate financial and family crisis. For some that live alone, they're facing endless loneliness, while for others it's peace, rest, and time with mother, father, sons, and daughters. With the $600 weekly increase in unemployment, some are bringing in more money to their households than they were when they were working. Others are working more hours for less money due to pay cuts or losses in sales. Some families of four just received $3,400 from the stimulus, while other families of four saw nothing. Some were concerned about getting a certain candy for Easter, while others were concerned if there would be enough bread, milk, and eggs for the weekend. Some want to go back to work because they don't qualify for unemployment and are running out of money. Others want to kill those who break the quarantine. Some are home spending two to three hours a day helping their child with online schooling, while others are spending two to three hours a day to educate their child on top of a 10 to 12-hour workday. Some have experienced the near death of the virus. Some have already lost someone from it, and some are not sure if their loved ones are going to make it. Others don't even believe this is a big deal. Some have faith in God and expect miracles during this 2020 Others say the the worst is yet to come. So, friends, we are not in the same boat. We are going through through a time when our perceptions and needs are completely different. Each of us will emerge in our own way from this storm. It's very important to see beyond what is seen at first glance, not just looking but actually seeing. We are all on different ships. During this storm Experiencing a very different journey So uh, Pretty relevant And I want to thank my friend Jane uh, For sending that in to me Alright So uh, with um, that uh, lovely Reading out of the way And the housekeeping out of the way uh, I want to say hello Uh, Hello Patrick Thank you for being on Voices of the Sacred Feminine Today
1: Hello, Karen. It's a joy to be with you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, you know, as I said before, thank you for your your patience and your flexibility uh, getting you here on the show. Um, So, uh, why don't we start off with the question that uh, sort of uh, piqued my curiosity about you uh, and uh, in some part was responsible for me reaching out to you uh, and inviting you to come on the show. Uh, I saw in some of your press materials uh, the, the question, did God make Donald Trump president? And um, I got to ask you, what do you think about that?
1: I um, I'm reflecting a lot of thinking of people who support him, and also people who believe in the Bible in terms of uh, God permitting things to happen in the world, and that things happen according to His permission. Uh, is not is there. So when you think of from becoming president, you not have to, for those of us to believe in God. we could not have become president. Wait, wait,
0: Patrick, Patrick, Patrick. Hang on a second. I'm I'm having a little bit of problem understanding you. Um, or um, you want a speakerphone by any chance?
1: Yes, let me take that off.
0: Yes, please. Let's let's uh let's get off okay. the speakerphone. Is that better? Yes, it is. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a good bit better. Um, yeah, and if you can maybe get any closer to the mic, that might help a little bit too. Um, Excellent. So anyways, um, oh, that's, that is wonderful. That is wonderful. Right there is perfect. Please try to keep Great. that up. Um, so, All right. So what was, your, what was your response? Did God make Donald Trump president?
1: God allowed Donald Trump to be president. He did not make him president. In the sense of his divine will to say, this is the best man for the job, I'm putting him there. Uh, Part part of understanding how this works is understanding that God has given to man free choice. And he allows us to choose to be kind or to be ugly. He he allows us to choose to uh, love each other or to hate each other. He also allows us to choose our elected officials. And uh, to learn from our choices, uh, whether it is bad or good. And, and so there are times when he decides to intervene in human affairs and he puts his finger in our, in our activities and says, no, that's, that's gone too far. I'm going to stop that. I'm going to put somebody else here who's going to do what is kind and right and best for people. But by and large, he allows a lot of things to happen, and works through our consciences and our thought processes to make decisions that reflect what is good and what is right and decent in our world. So, um, I, I don't. While I believe God allowed him to be president and allowed people to choose him to be president, I do not believe that God echoed from heaven and said, "This is the man I want. This Is the man after hours who do the best job possible for America."
0: So, um, so I, I have to say my follow-up question is, um, do you think we've learned our lesson well enough that we won't do it again this November? <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I, I, ref, I reflect back on a vision that Ezekiel had when the children of Israel were in Babylonian captivity. And he called Ezekiel and he said, I'm sending you to a people who, who are hard of hearing. Um, they, you will to them, but they will not listen to you. And, and I think that's part of the challenge we have in today's society, that the country has become so polarized along political lines, that there are people who um, are not looking clearly in terms of right and wrong. If you're in my party, you're right. If you're not in my party, you're wrong. And... Um, and my judgment of right and wrong is how does it protect innocence? How 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 does an action help people or hurt people, not who is in the right or, or, or I mean, who in, in my eyes is the best person to lead?
0: Well, you know, um, to just, just sort of piggyback on what you said about, you know, right and wrong, Um, you know, what do you think, uh, of the government's response to the coronavirus? I mean, the, you know, the president and, you know, the federal government is supposed to be there to serve the people and protect us. I mean, that's one of their main jobs in the constitution. Um, I think even if you're a libertarian, you, you know, that's one thing you, you know, believe the government should do, um, uh, I, I don't know. I, I I can't imagine you're going to say they've done a good job. So maybe I should rephrase and say, um, how can they justify doing what they're doing, or I guess should I say not doing?
1: Okay, so one of the courses I did when I was working on the master's in health administration was a course in epidemiology. Epidemiology is the study of Diseases and how they spread, and also coming in there is how you arrest the spread of disease. So when I saw this thing pop up in China and saw how aggr- aggressive it was, I said to myself, "Wow! I hope that when it gets here, we are ready and we can take necessary steps." So. Given, given the sophistication of this country, we have one of the best um, uh, research outfit in the CDC, and, and uh, we have the Department of Health and Human Services. I saw them spring to work when we had the Ebola crisis, and they did a tremendous job with that. I was expecting a similar response. I was expecting to see people being checked as they come off airplanes, I, see, I was expecting to see the first cases that come in that they would be properly quarantined and, um, and that whatever case, cases come after that, there would be contact tracing and there would be um, quarantining of those who had contact with the individuals who had it. What, what I saw was a disastrous hodgepodge response, um, a grossly unprepared uh, Department of Health and Human Services for this. I saw, I, I read, I listened to the news and I read stories of people who thought they had the virus and they would go to their healthcare provider and they would say, oh yes, you have it, but go home and self-quarantine. And I'm saying this is madness. Um, so so a person goes home, he has his elderly parents at home, or he has his wife and children, and they don't necessarily understand what quarantine means. And he goes and he shares it with them. The kids before they they know what's happening. They go and play with their neighbors outside, and they share it with their neighbors' kids. And the parents next door get it. And and I say, how can they expect to contain a disease with this kind of response? And what made it worse was for leading officials, including the president. To come out and say, Oh, this is no big deal, it's going to blow over. We have never seen a virus as aggressive in our lifetime as this one is. And, and I, I want to plug this in here before I, I, I come back to you. The measure of the strength and character of any society is how it treats its youngest citizens and it's older citizens. And the clamor to reopen the government without... No, I, I, I sympathize and I understand the challenge of those who are out of work and are having difficulty meeting their bills. But I believe that there is a responsibility on the part of government to reopen the co- economy in a way that is responsible, in a way that protects both those who are going back to work and those who can't go back to work,
0: I agree i agree and uh i am very glad I live in a in a blue state with Gavin Newsom as governor uh here in California because um I would feel uh very um, at risk. Invulnerable. if I lived in one of these red states where uh, they only seem to be thinking about the economic uh, angle of this. Um, you know, in, in fact, um, you know, there have been articles that have started to come out on the Internet uh, saying stuff like, well, maybe one of the reasons – uh, you know the president has uh, you know failed so miserably to respond. Uh, yeah, could be he just doesn't know what he's doing because I mean he's not very bright. I mean, I've, I mean he's he's uh, put that uh, out there for all the world to see with his bleach, uh, you know, and disinfectant comments. Um, But I wonder if it's something more evil than that. You know, there have been articles that have said stuff like, you know, so many of the right-wing people consider themselves the master race. This is disproportionately uh, affecting, you know, African-Americans. And, you know, let's face it, you know, that party is known for racism. Um, I mean, could it really be? I mean, can you imagine it being that devious that they're hoping to wipe out the the weakest among us or the uh you know the 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 people so many of them maybe still see as um subhuman i i wouldn't
1: I wouldn't go that far i I would say that 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 may have crossed some people's minds. What I see driving this is Uh, The politics of winning the re-election and that we can't and and that the present government thinks they can't win the election without the economy in good shape and that whatever it takes, no matter who dies, let's get this economy rolling so that come November uh, we have some good reports about income uh, to show so that people will feel comfortable. The, 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 the travesty of that is that any person who has run a company, a CEO, uh, anybody who has been in charge of an organization and you've done your risk management and your, your strategic planning and your forecasting for the future, you come to realize that you have to look at, does the action I take now, will it produce the results I need in three, six months' time? Um, or am I engaging in wishful thinking? And I believe that the attempt to reopen the economy so it can look good for November, so that president can be reelected, is wishful thinking. Because this, this virus is so aggressive that any opening you give it, um it's 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 gonna it's it's just gonna blow the whole thing away, so people are gonna go back to work and they're gonna be sorry afterwards
0: yeah well and and well, I'm glad you said that because I thought you know maybe there's a flaw in my thinking, but it seemed like you know unless that's the only card they feel like they have to play. Um, it felt like flawed thinking because the virus has not changed. And suddenly opening up the country, um, I think in two to three weeks we're going to see spikes in uh, you know, more infection and more death uh, all around the country. And less like now Florida has taken to not reporting the numbers. Uh, if the red states decide that they're just not going to tell us, or, uh, or they lie about the numbers, um, it seems like to me the closer we get to the election, the more death we're going to have. And how is that going to help? Uh, how is that going to help Trump win?
1: Well, if he wants to win, he needs to focus on the virus. That's yeah. the issue of urgency for the country right now.
0: Well, yeah, and we've seen him do nothing but seem to not want to engage and, um, you know, not putting in place the defensive, what is it, the Defensive Protection Act, you know, so that the swabs and the protection gear and the, uh, the solutions they need for the tests. I mean, he should have been making all of these corporations instead of letting them be profiteers uh, should have called them into action to do that. So we have testing and tracing. And, and I mean, look, I don't want him to win. So uh, if he fails miserably, maybe the positive uh, part of that is we get rid of him in November. But the collateral damage is going to be uh. Uh, immense. You know, the, the, you know, we'll have 200,000 dead uh, or more by November.
1: And um, I, I, was, I was a part of a conversation recently where someone is expressing uh, concern for the people out of work and that, you know, some people are going to die anyway and stuff. And uh, the other person said, you know, you can talk about it like that because no relative of yours have already have gotten the diseases yet. Um, we, can, we can talk all we want about um, it's okay, you know, some people are going to die anyway. But when it's your relative, somebody in your family, somebody you love, and somebody you care for, that uh, comes down with this disease, and you realize that the appropriate steps uh, were not taken to ensure the best chance for all of us to survive it, then then people will wake up to reality. But unfortunately, many people aren't there. Um, they, they just they just some people just don't empathize. Just don't uh, they just think about. What's me myself? You know, I'm I'm uncomfortable. I want to get out. I want to do this. Uh, I'm not concerned about the lives of other people. Right. Right. we had a situation here in Florida. We had a situation in Florida where, uh, when spring break came, uh, one student uh, made a very derogatory remark about, um, you know, why he's out on the beach and 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 you know not concerned about our people. And he later apologized. Um, Apparently, maybe his parents sat him down and said, look, you're talking about us older people or your parents. What were you talking about? Um, so sometimes sometimes we have to take people aside and, and talk some sense into their heads if they will listen about the reality that this, the 100,000 thousand are going to go to shortly and maybe 200,000 by the end of the year, these are is these are people these 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 are people's mothers and fathers and and children and brothers and sisters that 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 they have to bury and sometimes they die without even a relative nearby to 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 give a smile or to hold a hand
0: right right well i mean i I think Trump is playing a dangerous game uh and and he is uh he's rolling the dice here in a in a big way because it seems like to me, unless he uh, thinks Fox News can totally change the narrative across the entire country, and I don't think he's going to be successful at doing that. Um, I, I think that you know he's he's uh, bet the wrong way. You know he's bet on the economy rather than putting his efforts into um, doing all he can to. Defeat the virus, and I think um, I don't know. I, I think that was the wrong move uh, for him. Uh, not not that I'm sad for him. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> uh, but I am sad for the people who are the collateral damage of his. Um, you know, he's he's like Nero fiddling while Rome burns. You know.
1: Well, you know, there's there's a lot more collateral damage to to his presidency than. Uh, than the people who die from the coronavirus. Uh, True. Sh- shortly, shortly after he won the presidency, the country became so polarized that um, I have relatives I can't talk politics with anymore. Um, I have friends I can't talk politics with anymore because what essentially has happened is that he has taught people to hate. Anybody who is not for me is because they hate me. So you must, as my followers, you must hate them. So the, the, the whole matter of our loving each other, um, it's, and, and it makes it all right to literally cannibalize people's names on, um, on whether social media or in the regular media or anywhere uh, other politicians are talked about as if they are dirt as if they're not human beings. They're come off the earth. And I'm saying, wait a minute now. When, When did we come to this where the president of the country can't have even in public a noble, decent representation of how human beings ought to negotiate their way through life and interact with respect for each other? Anybody who is not in my camp is no good even if you used to work for me and you don't work for me anymore and i'm not pleased with you and so and so there's a teaching of hate in this country that an intolerance that is going to last a long time in people's minds and and is going to disrupt the way society functions going into the future
0: well I, I, I wanna talk a little bit about uh hate and love and religious leaders uh getting involved in politics. It's it's kind of a multiple pronged question I guess. Um yes. and, and and I guess first of all I wanna ask you, you know, because uh uh you know, you, you've been a pastor, you have a degree in theology, uh, you know, even though you've you've been, uh, you know, out in academia and, you know, other places as, as well. You know, you you uh, are, are a well-rounded uh, sort of person. Um, you know, evangelicals, it seems like, to, to a large degree, um, support Trump, put him in office, keep him in office, Um there's a cognitive disconnect, in my mind anyway, between uh, their brand of Christianity and Jesus who, who preached love. Um, how did this come to be? I mean, um, where did we lose Jesus's message of love and get to this point where, um, you know, religious leaders can – tell their congregations from the pulpit to support a man like Trump? And,
1: and, should, when,
0: and, should, and should religious leaders tell people who to vote for?
1: Remember, when Jesus was being tried, uh, the religious leaders said, give us Barabbas. Away with this Jesus. Crucify him. Because he did not fit the profile of who they wanted uh, to be their leader and and we finding the same thing happening in, in this um, in the situation where uh, religious leaders have begun have come to focus and they've been programmed that their congregation that way they focus on two or three issues abortion marriage equality, and, uh, you know, whatever else that comes up that may fancy their, their menu at that time. Um, Bible in schools, or, you know, whatever whatever else is, is, is an issue. And they forget that morality cannot be legislated. Morality is taught from parents to children, from church to congregants from neighbor to neighbor. Um, whenever you try to legislate morality, you, you, you bring religion and government together. And whenever that comes together, it is always chaos. It always brings persecution. It always brings this enfranchising of those who don't agree with you. And, and so, um, I can't, I sit, I sit in amazement, in negative amazement, to see religious leaders embracing uh, this bad behavior of this president because they feel that they're going to get conservative judges on the bench. Um, and for them, the end justifies the means, but that is not God's way. That's not the Jesus way. It's, 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 it's no, not. I wouldn't. It's, uh, it's, it's, it certainly isn't. As a matter of fact, the way. Well, and, the, Go ahead. No, you go ahead. The no, um, you,
0: you finish your finish your.
1: Yeah, the the way the way we we, we people to faith is by loving them into faith and introducing them to the love of Jesus. Now teach them to hear those who don't think the way we think. Um,
0: Patrick, I, I, have you have you uh, shifted positions a little bit? Because your voice isn't no, quite as fo- clear shifted, as it was. I
1: shifted the phone. I shifted the phone a little bit. I'm sorry.
0: Okay. All right. Okay. Um, okay, would I you would back. you mind uh, repeating what you just? Would you mind repeating what you just said? Because we lost a little bit of it.
1: Okay. I said that the way we, we share faith and grow the Christian community is by following the example of Jesus in loving people, in caring for them, no matter what race, creed, um, ethnicity, uh, financial status they are, they are at. When we love people, we share that love, and, and people people understand that language of love. When we When we move from there and try to get people, corral people into a behavior consistent with our beliefs, uh, simply by legislating it, uh, we don't succeed. The church will die in time over that.
0: Well, let me uh, me ask you to explain something to me because... um... I have to admit, you know, and maybe I've been doing the wrong thing as well. You know, I'm a goddess advocate, and um, that makes me a progressive, that makes me a liberal, that makes me um, probably a social democrat, um, and, you know, it makes me an environmentalist, um, you know, all of those different things. And, you know, I always talk about we have to reconcile our politics and our spirituality, And to me, that means if you're a goddess advocate and you, you know, or that, you know, that makes you an environmentalist generally, you know, you don't want to rape the earth and, uh, you know, you care about your fellow human being and it's not about having a, a dominator society, you don't want predator capitalism, all of this sort of stuff. Um, so you, so I mean, we only have two choices uh, realistically. So that means you can't vote for Republicans, you know, because they tend to be anti-environment. They tend to be pro-corporate. Not that the you know corporate Democrats aren't. I'm you know caveat there. But my point is, um, I and I understand that the right is, like you said, they're they're uh, they're standing behind Trump because of the judges they'll get. Uh, because of their stance on, you know, abortion or maybe other social, um, uh, you know, ideas. Um, how do you split hairs between reconciling your spirituality and politics and not legislating it? Is, it, is there a difference there?
1: Yes. Uh, you, you, whenever you have church and state combined, uh, you just have to look back to the Dark Ages, and you, you, you see right away what the result is. Or look at any country where there's a combination of church and state, whether it's Christian or Muslim or whatever other faith you, you, you want to look at, where the church uses the, the, its influence in the state to force people to, come, to abide by its regulations the moment you don't abide by a religious creed, you're an old caste. And, and that is not how God works. Uh, there's always an immense danger when there's this combination of church and state. And, and it's, 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 it's frightening to me, actually, to see what is happening with the Evangelicals and the Republican Party because that is, that is not the kind of future for this country that, that you wanna have. What is, what, is, what, is, what is sad though for, for, the, for the Christian faith in this is that those evangelicals in supporting Trump is also endorsing his racist, misogynist approach to life. So while they're getting judges that, they, that please them, they're also saying to the world, we, we, we like this guy And we are endorsing, by supporting him, um, his unwillingness to create a more just and equal society. Uh, When I think of the rights of women, equal pay for equal work, and the powerful influence of those who control the, the resources of this country, and the desire to make, to continue to maintain a male chauvinist society and, um, and not create equality for women. It, 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 it's crazy. It, it's just... And as, and the church, the church rose up in England and fought against the slave trade and then slavery. Um, in Jamaica, where I was born, it was, it was, it was, it was uh, uh, people from the church that taught slaves to read and write against the wishes of the slave owners. So churches through history, those that have been willing to buck the system, have been catalysts for change, for growth, for development, for freedom for people, for civil rights. Um, when churches take the opposite tack and begin to work with government, a government that is not interested in voting rights, is not interested in human rights. I mean, it's a dangerous path to go down. Yeah,
0: it it would it would definitely seem so. I mean I've I've read Chris Hedge's uh, you know, who talks about um how influential the church used to be during the days of FDR uh, they used to be the social witness uh, they used to be the ones that were would maybe keep government and corporations in check uh, but now it seems like uh, they're more about prosperity gospels uh, they're more uh, the money changers uh, you know they're more about you know uh keeping the patriarchy strong. At the expense of everybody else, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I I can't imagine that in the long run. If uh, what is that expression, uh, uh, the arc of freedom or justice bends toward liberalism or something? I had that a little bit wrong, uh, but it seems like they're they're going to be on the wrong side of history.
1: Yes, yes, um, th- th- that that is. Mark, you realize this, that there are those of us Christians who have certain conservative values uh, but are not with this kind of this evangelical movement. Not all evangelicals are in the same camp with Trump. There are those who are abhor where he's going. But, but what is happening is that the evangelicals who have most of them who have mega churches who have large following and who have the, the megaphone uh, to, to the public. They, they are hugging the airways in support of Trump. And, um, and I've not heard any of them come out and rebuke him for any of his excesses, for any of his indecencies and disrespect for, for humanity. And, and I wonder, Where is your content? Where is your Jesus?
0: Okay. Uh, We're going to take a break. And um, when we come back, I want to remind you again, Patrick, um, you've shifted a little bit again with the phone. Um, (laughs) uh, So when we come back, you know, uh, readjust yourself. Um, But we're going to take a break. We're going to take a break for a minute here uh, because, um, I have a word from Joe Carson uh, for my listeners.
2: tell you about Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia, an exploration of Earth-based spirituality shot at sacred sites around the world. This is from Janina Renee, author of Playful Magic and By Candlelight. Dancing with Gaia is a magical, transformative film. Just watching it can alter your perception of the physical body and the energy field of the goddess Earth. Next time you are taking a walk or simply gazing across the landscape, you might find yourself affecting mystical fusion with the local earth forms, or making deep contact with the spirits of place. If you want to engage deeper with the consciousness of the earth, there are a number of detailed but simple how-tos. What's more, seeing the exquisite works of these Gaia-inspired artists could energize you to start working on some of your own spiritually expressive projects. The DVD was shot in some of the most powerfully sacred sites in the Western world. It comes packaged with a 45-page color booklet, which goes even deeper into the ideas and techniques in the film. The package is just $20, and you can get it from DancingWithGaia.com.
0: Okay, Uh, and we're back. Uh, This is Karen Tate, and you're listening to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. And uh, my guest today is uh, Patrick uh, Rutherford. Uh, He's a former pastor, hospital administrator, a university lecturer uh, with a degree in theology and uh, health administration and uh, educational administration. And uh, we're talking about um, surviving Trump and healing a nation. So um, I guess, Patrick, uh, my next question is um, this hate that's been spewing, uh, you know, uh, before Trump. I mean, let's face it, he didn't uh, create this. He's just the, the poster child for it. Um, what does uh, all of this hate out there do to our mental health? And, you know, how do we, how do we handle uh, the anger and the hate and the cruelty?
1: This is a big one. Hate has been around for a long time. People have been hurting people uh, for a long time. And the, the healing that we need in our society today, whether it is from, hurt from government, or political leaders, are, is, is to first bring a consciousness to our own hearts that hate destroys us. Uh, Nelson Mandela, when he was freed from prison, was asked if, if he didn't have animus towards the people who imprisoned him and the way he was treated, the way he was treated in prison. He was he quoted a, a, a very a very very powerful quote. He said, "Hating people is like drinking poison." someone else to die. So a part of the healing is recognizing that when we revert to hate we only hurt ourselves more. Revenge doesn't solve any problems. So acknowledging that we are hurt is important. Acknowledging that the system has failed us is important. But we move from there rather than wait, they... Patrick <laughs>
2: Patrick, do? hang on a
0: second, Patrick, Patrick, yes. wait, yes. hang on um we're we're really having trouble with your phone. Um, I don't know if now you've gotten a little bit too close um, but if if you ah. can kind of get back to that or, that original perfect spot. Um, Okay, right there. Because this is important. Right there, right there. Please don't move. (laughs) Um, Because what you're saying is important, and I want to make sure people hear it. So um, go ahead from right there. Please don't move.
1: (laughs) Okay. So so remember, two two important things. One is what Mandela said. To hate is like drinking poison expecting someone else to die and number two people do what they do because of who they are not because of who you are so if somebody does something hateful hurtful to you they are doing it because something is wrong with them they are carrying some hateful baggage something in their own lives that they have unresolved they have pain that they are carrying and because What they are carrying is pain. What they shear is pain. If you respond in kind, you pick up the pain and you carry it farther, and you practice most times what is called displaced aggression. The next person you meet becomes a victim of your anger and your rage, not necessarily the person that created it in the first place. And so... It's important to recognise that we should not take other people's pain to ourselves. Don't let them <clears throat> sorry, don't let their anger distort our view of the world. But find peace between ourselves and our God and be assured that we are valued, we are important. <clears throat> we didn't deserve what the person dish out to us. But the response of hating them or hating somebody else in return is not the solution. The solution is to find a place, place of peace for ourselves so we can pass on something better to the next person that comes along in front of us. Well, and I, and I would have part
0: of that. I'm sorry?
1: There was a part of the question I didn't answer, but go ahead.
0: Um, well, it was. It, what does well? I think it was. Well, what does it do to our mental health? Um, yes. Was that that was maybe the part you didn't get to yet?
1: Okay, let me deal with that now. Um, a lot of our brain function involves chemistry, and hatred changes the chemistry of our brain. It, it is it's such a negative force. It, it um, helps to produce more of what we call cortisol Which which um, is a stress hormone? And when the brain has a high concentration of cortisol It depletes your serotonin, which is your calming chemical and This has this makes you more anxious. You're more prone to depression uh You're more agitated around people, which makes you, which affects your relationship with the people that you even care for. And the science has now come to, to show that over time, people with low levels of serotonin and high levels of cortisol have certain parts of their brains actually shrink, especially the frontal lobe where, where is a seat of intelligence, your thinking and your reasoning skills. So people who spend a lot of time hating um, really damage their brain. And, and there's, there, there's another piece that is very significant here, and that is the, the limbic system, uh, which is our flight, flight response system, this is where a lot of our emotions are seated. When it is driven by hate and fear, it actually hijacks the intelligent part of our brain the frontal lobe to devise means hmm. of carrying out revenge so people get wow. smart people people are smart they might they might they might be able to remember things they can they can do all kinds of great things in life but because they carry this hate with them and and they, they they're seeking avenues to Exhort themselves to to, to to express this hate they use their intelligence that they have in the frontal lobe To devise means by which they can carry out their sinister ways and so the brilliance rather than going to preserve the earth and bless people and and, and leave society and, and all this kind of stuff that are so critical um, it's spent in this finding destructive ways of expressing the mind.
0: So, Patrick, do you think, um, uh, you know, we hear a lot about forgiveness. We hear a lot about gratitude. Um, do you think those are, um, you know, panaceas or, uh, you know, placebos, um, or do you think there's a really, are they is, is that really the magic bullets um you know, to, to help us through this, um, you know, the, the, the hate and the anger and the cruelty that seems to be pervading uh, the world right now.
1: You, 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 you're nicely taking me to the next step. <laughs> so, so when you accept that other people do things because of who they are, you begin to reframe the situation you find yourself in and you begin to see the person, rather than someone to be hated, you more see them as someone to be pitted, pitied, to be cared for, who need help. And the way you free yourself from the, the power of the pain that they have placed on you is to forgive them, is to release them. And forgiveness is not a panacea, it's not it, it is a powerful tool for liberation for the spirit. It's letting go of the other person's pain that they wanted you to carry around, and freeing your spirit to live your life in peace and in harmony. So, so forgiveness is oh, it is it is awesome, and and for those, for, for those, and this this is part of why you know the the evangelical support of, of Trump and his spewing out of so much hatred and animus is, um, is worrying to me because Jesus, in, in the Lord's Prayer, says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And at the end of the prayer, the only thing he commented on was he said, if you fail to forgive those who have hurt you, your Heavenly Father cannot forgive you. No. The reality is that we, we all are in this world with the ability to hurt each other. And there's not a single person can say, I haven't hurt somebody, hurt somebody whether consciously or unconsciously, in my lifetime. If we are going to judge other people for the wrongs that they do to us, and try to hurt them back, what if all the wrong we have done to other people they hurt us back too? What a world of hurt the world would be in. So so forgiveness ends the cycle, it breaks the cycle um of, of hatred well, you know, I, and animosity. Go ahead.
0: Well you know, I think some people um uh Confuse what con- what forgiveness really is. I think that when they hear you talk about forgiving someone, it's like maybe you've condoned um, what they've done. You know, um, I, I, you know, and can you maybe speak to that a little bit? You know, maybe that's where people get stuck because maybe yes. there's been really a grave injustice. Uh, done to them Um, and it's hard to forgive that grave injustice
1: okay so there there are certain things forgiveness is not it's not not condoning it's not excusing it's not living in a world of denying and pretending as though it didn't happen happen forgiveness is acknowledging that the person has done you wrong You can allow yourself to feel it. You should allow yourself to feel the the pain of the hurt. Even cry if needs be. But recognize that if you hold that hurt, it will destroy you. So you have to release it. You have to let the person go. You have to see them as somebody, a sinner who needs salvation like anybody else. Somebody, as a matter of fact, if anybody who has hurt you, and hurt you deeply, if you had the opportunity to look into their lives, you will see some point in their history where they too were hurt deeply. And they are carrying that pain, and they are sharing that pain with you. If you take on that and carry it with you, it destroys you. Let me, let me, let me take one simple thing. Well, no, it's not simple. This is horrific. Let's take rape, for example. Um, so long as the victim of rape hates the person or is in denial about the person who hurt them, they cannot be free. They relive the experience, or they become they go in denial, or they blame themselves, it was my fault because I look so beautiful. I shouldn't have dressed that way that day. Um, they, all kinds of things. But until they recognize, this person did this to me because they are a heinously wicked person, unkind and disrespectful of other people's rights. And they, they took my innocence and trampled on it. That is wrong. But then to move on from there to say, but I cannot carry them with me for the rest of my life. I must let them go to their own evil ways and pray that one day they meet an experience that that changed them into a better person. It is then that 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 the victim becomes the victor. But so long as they carry hatred for the person, they carry the person with them and the experience dominates their lives and then what happens is they meet somebody that they truly love they fall in love they get married they start a new relationship but because they're carrying this hatred and this this, and with the hatred comes the fear with them into this new relationship they can't open their hearts with freedom to this person that they're more attached to. And that relationship doesn't blossom and grow with the beauty that it should. As a matter of fact, typically what happens is down the road in the relationship, the, the bonding is interrupted because the, the, the rape experience keeps interfering because they, they are not freeing their spirit to bond.
0: So, so speaking of fear Patrick um, you you talk about the five steps to overcome it. Um, can you tell us what those are
1: Okay so we can we can, we can look at it from different angles uh, but let, let's just run down a few of them. One of them is to accept the fact that you are, fear, are afraid and the next thing is to identify what is it you fear. Because oftentimes the brain plays tricks on us or we play, we, we, we create a situation where the, the, the brain tricks us. And um, and so to to make clear to ourselves what is it I'm afraid of it helps us to deal with the issue because sometimes we examine carefully what is it we are afraid of. We realize that it is not a rational fear. It, it, it there's some things you ought know to be afraid of. Okay. Um, if, if you're walking into a yard with, with bad dogs, uh, there's a reason to be concerned <laughs> and to be cautious. If, if, you're, if you're driving too fast, um, you should be afraid of crashing and, and killing everybody in a car. So, so there, there, there's there's healthy fear. But, but the fear that inhibits us and keeps us from living our lives to the fullest. Let's, let's say the fear of dogs. See, at one point in time, you were, you were bitten by a dog. And you find yourself, months, years after, every time you see a dog, you want to run to the other side of the street. Because there's a mechanism in, in, in the amygdala, the part of the brain that c- helps to control the flight fright response. That stores that memory of where you were hurt, and tries to protect you from that hurt again. Okay, so, so the first the first step then is to acknowledge you you have this fear and don't brush it off like it's nothing. Two, is to is to clearly define what it is you're afraid of. I'm afraid of dogs. Let me not stop. Let me stop behaving as though what I'm doing is normal and and crossing the street every time I see a, a poodle on a leash coming up the road, um, then the, the, next, um, the next step is to, is to try to find a way to deal with the fear. Talk to somebody about it. Share the information. Help them give you perspective on it. Um, then you, next you need to confront the fear. So the way the way a therapist would help a person who is afraid of dogs would be to take them into a controlled environment where the dog is behind a barrier and get them close enough to the dog that they can see it um, and become comfortable just being in the presence of the dog. Then gradually get them to the place where they. Um, you reach out and pet the dog through the fence. Maybe the side of the dog, the face where the the, the mouth is, and gradually get them to be friendly with the dog. And say that particular dog is not a biter and, and is a pet. And once they gradually go through that process of overcoming that fear, then. Obviously, what will happen is that when you see, you see dogs in the future, they're able to categorize dogs and know that, okay, not all dogs are biters, and I don't have to be afraid of all dogs. Um, there are some fears, though, that are so deep-seated because they are, they are ingrained by abuse. And so some people have to go to therapists, have to find uh, a, a psychotherapist uh, uh, analyst to help them figure out what's happening some therapist to get them uh, past some of those fears because um, some some you can some kind of fear you can't handle on your own and there are people who are afraid of going to a psychologist because they figure the people and say i'm crazy but but the reality is that if you can have a broken foot or you can have a a broken body with diabetes or hypertension. You can also have a broken mind, and 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 fear is a form of brokenness. And to see the appropriate professional to help us with those fears is is really important because those fears can lead to depression. Depression can lead to other, can even lead to suicide. The number one cause of suicide is depression. So um, it's, it's important. The, the the final step that um, that I, I would like to mention, which I, I think is, is a critical one, uh, that is, find a friend that's going to help you. If you're not bad enough, to help you have to see a psychiatrist. Find a friend that you can lean on that can be uh, a reinforcing tool. For some friend, that friend. For some people, that friend is Jesus. they can talk to God and, and lay their burden before Him. For, for some people to be in neighbor next door or a good friend from school or, or somebody at work that they can they can help help reassure them that uh, don't alone along the path of getting victory over this fear. Uh Alcoholics Anonymous have you know a kind of a body system that helps people through their difficulties. We can work the same way with fears. Okay.
0: Well Patrick um, We ran a little bit over, but that's okay. Uh, What you had to say was important, Uh, but we didn't get to everything I hoped to. So um, maybe I'll send you an email later today and uh, see if you'd like to come back and we can maybe finish the conversation because I'd really like to get into, um, you know, the mindset of Dominionist Christianity and, um, you know, find out if that can be healed uh, if it's something that should be healed. <laughs> um and, and kind of go down that road a little bit, explain uh to listeners what Dominionist Christianity is and maybe the the pros and cons of it, if you will. I'm I'm trying to be fair here. Um uh, yeah. myself I think it's kind of a dangerous thing, but you know, maybe I'm misinformed. But um I, I wanna um I wanna give you the last word here as, as kind of a wrap up. Um yeah. You know, uh, you know, what, what would you say to listeners as we, in the next few months, uh, you know, face the fear? I guess of uh, that this election is going to, you know, keep Trump in the White House.
1: Okay, f- first, I'd, I'd love to have you folk read my book, God and President Trump Plus the Rest of Us. It gives, uh, I believe, a unique perspective on leadership and. um and how we should hold our leaders accountable. Uh, going forward, uh, it is important that all of us recognize our civic duty uh, to identify what kind of leader we need for the future. And none of them will be ideal. But oftentimes we, we choose the lesser of two evils. But we must approach it with vigor, with energy, um, and recognize that if we fail to act we are also responsible for the outcome and hence we must do our part each one of us to influence others to vote vote our consciences and to do what we can to influence others to vote for what is principled and what is right and to tear down what is destructive and hateful that's my word. well
0: said well said thank you um i you know definitely in agreement here uh, good advice um well patrick uh thank you so much uh for your time today um I, I think you've had a lot of wisdom here for listeners and uh uh you know i i I, preach, I appreciate your perspective um and uh you know and and for you you know courageously sharing that wisdom um so um stay safe and um Thank you. uh stay in <laughs> social distance and all of that good stuff that, uh, uh, you know, that can help keep us alive these days. And, um, you know, I will uh, pop an email to you and uh, see if we can uh, coordinate our schedules and, you know, maybe have you back here on the show. And uh, one more time, uh, tell us uh, the title of your book because it wasn't in your bio or else I would have mentioned it myself earlier.
1: The book is God and President Trump plus the rest of us.
0: And uh, can, it be, um, can it be found on it's Amazon? The, or?
1: It's on Amazon, and it's at Barnes & Noble online, yes.
0: Okay, 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 great. All right, Patrick, well, thank you very much. Um, you have a, a wonderful rest of your Sunday, and uh, thank you so much for the work you're doing in the world.
1: Look forward to talking to you again. God bless you. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. Okay, well, that about does it uh, for me today. Uh, dear listeners, thank you so much uh, for tuning in. Um, I hope you will uh, share this uh, interview with uh, your friends or on social media. Uh, remember, I will be back with you on Friday at 11 a.m. Uh, sharing from my book, God Calling, uh, the inspirational message of what is our real wealth. And uh, it will be followed by a meditation, as these uh, monthly sharings often are. All right, Um, you have you stay safe out there. Um, If if you can, please stay sheltered in. And um, and and uh, I uh, I I guess all I can say is uh, may ISIS embrace you in her golden wings. Uh, Thank you very much, uh, dear listeners, and um, uh, have a uh, have a happy full moon that's uh, coming up on Thursday. Uh, work that energy. All right. Thank you and good night. Bye-bye.